You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their You got Rommel yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, baseball time almost in Tennessee time, still basketball time in Tennessee time, basketball team playing well, but, but now some bad news time, so conflicted thoughts time whatever time of day it is, boys and girls. It's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Monday, as we are recording this, anyway, on a Monday. And I was just going to, this was going to be a really simple episode, guys. The the main part of it is still the main part. Uh, We're going to get to discussion on Tennessee baseball with Tony Vitello, who was gracious enough to go one-on-one here for about 40 minutes or so earlier today for a conversation about sort of wrapping up last season and pivoting toward the the main part, which is this upcoming season, which for Tennessee starts just next week with a three-game home series against Georgia Southern there at uh, renovated Lindsey Nelson Stadium, still not the, the, the posh palace of, say, a Duty Noble in Starkville or, or something of that sort, but, but better a step in the right direction, a step closer toward what Tony Vitello wanted. So we're going to get to that here just really, really quickly. Um, but before before we do that, a couple things. Just a quick shout-out to uh, everyone out there. I know there's a lot of people in West Tennessee, specifically Shelby County and Memphis, who have had a rough go of it uh, with the weather and uh, some, some downed trees and power lines, and there's just so many people in that county uh, still without power, and it's really, really cold this time of year. And I know uh, in conversations that I recently had the past couple of days uh, with my brother, and because uh, my brother and my uh, very soon-to-be sister-in-law, uh, their their place in Memphis uh, lost power, and they were able to drive to Nashville, uh, the Nashville area, I should say, where my sister lives, and they were able to go there and get power. But there's a, some other people in that area who were not as fortunate, and I, I just don't know what to say other than I'm sorry, and I hope that that situation gets cleared up soon. I know it's the winter and these things happen, but still uh, to see that many people with that, without power for that long, it's just, it's just really unfortunate. And I hope it gets straightened out. And I know there's been a lot of people also in the Northeast and other pockets of the country that have been dealing with some of those bad winter storms. Uh, And I hope wherever you are, you're safe. I hope everything's going all right with you. And I hope that you're at the very least hanging in there. Uh, Winter sucks. I know it does, um, but hopefully Things will be okay, and we can get through this and uh, and keep going like we always do. Uh, secondly, got some news that, uh, again, I was going to do just baseball, just talking with Tony Vitello on this episode, but there's no way to not mention the news uh, Monday that Tennessee junior forward Olivier Kumwa is most likely out for the rest of the season with an ankle injury. Uh, Tennessee is not saying exactly whether it is, whether it's fractured or, or, or what the situation is. Other than the fact that the the injury that he suffered there early in the second half of Saturday's blowout win at South Carolina was initially they they were worried and then they did a quick check and they thought oh maybe it's not so bad then they get back do some tests and it is that bad he is going to have to have surgery uh, all they would say is that with this type of surgery uh, and this kind of recovery for whatever this unspecified injury is that the timeline most likely puts Kumwa out for the rest of the season. They didn't guarantee it, but they said most likely rules him out for the for the rest of the season. That is certainly a blow for Tennessee. Uh, Kumwa is a guy who's a regular starter, averages 8.6 points and 5.6 rebounds per game, and had really over the past three or so games been playing maybe some of the best basketball he's played in his career at Tennessee. Uh, he's a guy who's, uh, as I just mentioned, the 8.6 and 5.6 per game, also 1.2 assists per game. Uh, he's also, as many European big men are, a pretty good shooter. Uh, he's a guy who can shoot 44.8% from three-point range, not a high-volume guy, but he normally takes and makes uh, pretty pretty good shots there for, for the guy who plays the four and occasionally the five spot. 
that is certainly tough news for Tennessee. I will not sugarcoat it. However, I will say I don't think it torpedoes the season necessarily uh, because Tennessee still has uh, some options there. Tennessee has some guys. Uh, Brandon Huntley-Hatfield is a talented young man who could still do some things. Uh, I think you, you might see or we're going to see Jonas Idu more now. He was a guy who was going to redshirt the six foot eleven big man who was a highly touted prospect, a guy who uh, is a good rim protector, has a lot of things that, that could – that could serve him and the program a lot in the future. Um, but he also had mono right there during preseason camp that really kind of set him back. And, and he was looking like he was going to redshirt. Maybe not now. He, he was there late in the game the other day uh, against South Carolina. And I don't know what the percentages are in terms of number of games he would play to preserve that redshirt. But the bottom line is if he's needed now, he, he will play some now. But Tennessee also has the option, and what I think it'll do a lot of the time is it will probably play a lot more small ball now with Josiah Jordan-James at the four spot. Uh, I think that that just sort of – when you look at when you got Ziegler and Vescovy and Chandler and the way they're playing in the backcourt, I think we might see a little bit more small ball lineups. I think you might see Powell out there more often. It, it could be game to game too, which in reality, knowing Tinker or Rick Barnes, it probably will be. Uh, but still, the bottom line there is we're going to discuss that much more later in the week. Tennessee, uh, the 19th-ranked Vols do go to Starkville uh, to play Mississippi State at 9 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday night, and that'll be the first game without Kamal. That's a tough game anyway, though. Mississippi State, I think, is 12-1 and at home this season. The Bullies are usually pretty good over there in the hump. I, I don't know if the first game without Kamal, we can sit there and make bold comments about what it's going to be like going forward uh, because that's a place where it can be tricky that late at night on a Wednesday in the middle of the week. I I don't know. Uh, something about that game feels uh, like a trip hazard for, for Tennessee, but but we'll see. There's lots to, to, to be discussed uh, after that game. We will have a podcast later in the week with Grant Ramey, and we will discuss things uh, with, with Kamal more in detail and sort of what's next for Tennessee, how the first game without him looked, what it might look like going forward. There's a a lot to discuss there. But what we're going to do primarily in this episode uh, is speak with Tennessee baseball coach Tony Vitello, arguably uh, the most popular man other than he he and Zakai Ziegler maybe right now and Hennon Hooker, those three, maybe three of the most popular guys uh, in this town at the moment. Obviously, Vitello and the Vols went to the College World Series last year, won 50 games to just kind of keep going on this really rapid rebuild of, of of the Tennessee program. Uh, when he arrived, and and a lot of people said when he got there, you know, this guy's never been a head coach. Tennessee's taking a chance here, but he was young, uh, still is young. He's barely older than me. He, he's a, a really good recruiter, a guy who knows this league, uh, and, and a guy who maybe could get this thing kickstarted. And and boy, howdy, he's done that. Uh, the Vols go twenty nine and twenty seven in his first season. Uh, they go twelve and eighteen in the SEC, better than a lot of people thought. Then his second season, 2019, the Vols go 40-21. and 21. They're right there around 500 in the SEC, and they get back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2005, which is horrible that this program ever went that long. There is baseball talent in the state, and as good as the SEC is, there is no excuse for Tennessee baseball to go that long uh, without being in the postseason. That's just something that should should never, ever happen. Uh, and then 2020, the Vols were really – they were bringing a lot of force to bear that season. They had a lot of talent, a lot of early-round draft picks. There were some big things potentially expected for a big turnaround for that team. And lo and behold, they go 15-2 and in, in non-conference play. And the second that they're getting ready to go to the SEC to start play, they're getting on a bus to go to South Carolina – and COVID-19 happens, and so they don't go. The season gets canceled. Everything uh, really was frustrating at that point because tennis, for, for the world writ large, I mean, not just for Tennessee baseball, but I, we're speaking about Tennessee baseball in this episode. Uh, so the Vols lost. Uh, they still lost some of those high-round draft picks, even though the draft was shortened after that year. So there were some pretty good expectations going into 2021, but you didn't know, right? They hadn't played in the SEC uh, in a couple years, so how much better are they really? Because the SEC baseball conference, is, it, it's not even close. It's the best in the country, and it's, it's SEC baseball is just about more dominant than the SEC is in, in, in any other sport. Uh, and when you think about that, that's a bold statement, but I really believe that's true when you look at the power of SEC baseball. 
And so you don't know exactly, like, are they good? How good are they? Well, they go 15-18. They win the SEC East. Uh, they, they do beat Vanderbilt to win the SEC East. Big deal. They get to the finals of the SEC tournament, the championship round, lose to Arkansas, and, and then they bounce back from that, and they go into the NCAA tournament. Uh, they win the regional, win the super regional, and they get to the College World Series uh, for the first time since 2005. A big deal. Uh, the Vols didn't play as well as they wanted to there, and we'll talk to Tony about that here in a second, but still – a lot to discuss that is a positive for this Tennessee baseball team, this baseball program. And then you get a couple of guys who are coming back as super seniors for next year because they get that COVID uh, exception to, to the eligibility. So you got guys like Redden Walsh, Evan Russell, Luke Lipsius coming back. You, you bolster it with a big-time recruiting class, including getting Chase Burns, who's just an unbelievably good prospect, who will almost certainly be a weekend pitcher for Tennessee this season. Kid throws about 100 miles an hour, just huge stuff. A big arm like Ben Joyce coming in out of the bullpen, too. Got another guy who's going to throw uh, potentially some triple digits up there. They've got some stuff. They got some dudes and some stuff. Uh, but Blake Tidwell, a Tennessee sophomore ace pitcher, and uh, Seth Halverson, a big, a big addition through the transfer portal from Mizzou. Those two guys are probably going to be in the weekend rotation, and they are out at least to start the season while coming back from some arm stiffness, some arm injuries. I think uh, Halverson was, was an elbow, and uh, it was a shoulder, I believe, with Tidwell. But so there, there are some new things to discuss. There are some things they're going to have to overcome. You know, Evan Russell is now a catcher, which is crazy to think about, but but he's going to go from left field to catcher, uh, which is a fun thing that we'll talk to Tony about. They've got some some renovations going on at the stadium, some small things. Uh, you know, Vitello ended up – there was thoughts about would he come back to Tennessee. He did come back to Tennessee. So there, there's a lot that's happened with Tennessee baseball in, in, the, in, in the last – in the past probably – what, a couple of years? Been a lot going on. And so there was a lot to talk about. And earlier today, uh, this morning, I did speak with Tony Vitello for about, I don't know, about 42, 41 minutes, somewhere around there. He was really gracious with his time this morning. I uh, spoke with him for a while, and most of it, or a majority of it anyways, was uh, was on the record, as you'll hear in this podcast. So lots and lots of good stuff. Uh, we'll get straight to it now. Uh, this is uh, from this morning, uh, Monday morning. This is me speaking with Tennessee baseball coach Tony Vitello. Well, Tony, thanks for joining us. As always, I know there's there's always a lot going on. You know, we think about these times before uh, the season starts, and oh, did you get to relax or unwind a little bit? And uh, that's never really the case, right? When you're head coach, there's always about a million things going on. So I guess even uh, even before the season starts, I guess you still got plenty going on. Yeah, recruiting is always going to pop up new things, and um, you know we fill in the, the blanks with camp dates. Uh, so, so those are supportive of our recruiting efforts too. Um, and then you're 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 constantly stressing on, okay, the players are not here; they're home for Christmas break. But are they doing the things to at least put themselves in a successful position when they get back? You know, at least not start from ground zero and have to go zero to sixty so to speak. But, uh, you know, as of now, things have gone fairly smooth with the guys when they get back, you know, some normal uh, hurdles or obstacles when they, when they return, there's some rust to get rid of, but uh, all in all, it's been busy, but in a good way. Yeah. And I guess in, in terms of, of just the way things went after last season ended, right. I know no one gets to this level either as a, you know, as a coach or a player without being a pretty competitive person or a really competitive person, I should say, but after everything that happened last year, you know, kind of making that run, getting the breakthrough, getting back to Omaha, but then things when you get to Omaha not going exactly the way that you wanted them to go, after you're able to kind of sit there and get your bearings after the season, what's sitting there with you? Is it kind of a feeling of, man, I'm really grateful that this group finally got the, the program back to, to Omaha, did so many good things during the year, or are you thinking about those two games that didn't go great once you got there? Sure. I, I think, you know, we, we kind of did what maybe is a good routine for an athlete as we assessed what went on. You know, you spend some time being bitter about it, and then you assess what went on and what could have gone better, and then you use that information going forward. So um, I'm putting it in a nice, neat box. It hasn't been that great, but uh, I think uh, there's some lessons learned there. And, hey – when you get down to the final eight teams in the country, it's not going to go well for everyone. And you could say one line drive finds a hole off the bat of Liam Spence and the first game, it goes different. And you could say 
Sean Hunley was one strike away from getting a very emotional team and crowd back into our dugout to hit. And instead we kind of had the wind taken out of our, out of our sails by a big hit that went down there. So um, that's what it's going to be like in SEC play and in postseason play. If we're fortunate enough to play in any postseason setting, it's going to come down to a small thing here or there. And you're never going to know when that small thing is going to pop up. So you got to just kind of be as prepared as possible and treat every pitch as if it has the same amount of weight to it or same amount of value. Uh, so that's what we've taken from that. But if you go big picture and, and go to the other part of your question, it's been tremendous to see the progress each year the program has made in facilities, support from fans, donors. Uh, now there's NIL thrown into this thing. Recruiting has changed. Our staff has kind of you know, undergone some changes, but more than anything, I think we've matured as a group on how we all work together. Um, so the progress was key, uh, but the bitterness remains that we'd like to get back to where we were last year or at least get back to the postseason and, and do better. Yeah, I don't know why, but sometimes, you, at least in my head, I, I go back to thinking about, you know, it's like that uh, like that scene there at the end of Friday Night Lights, the movie where Coach Kerry Gaines is sitting there and after the season he's got his depth chart there with the magnets and he's just kind of taking them off and, you know, then he goes back to the next, you know, he's thinking about, okay, who's going to be there next? Who's going to be the quarterback, the running back? I mean, I know it's not like that in your office or anything, but as you're kind of piecing that together through your head, I mean, at what point, you know, after the season, do you immediately start sort of thinking about the next season? Because I know you're always recruiting toward that end, but, you know, when you start thinking about, okay, Who's going to go to the draft? Who's going to come back for this COVID year? You know, eligibility. You know, how many guys are going to be able to kind of maybe add at the last minute? What's going on with the transfer portal? I mean, does it like take like immediately after the season ends? Is it a couple days? What goes through your mind then? Yeah, you know, I had the benefit of having a really nice room at the Marriott. Um, it was, I'm single and it was big enough to raise a whole family in that thing. So, uh, um, you know, it was a quiet space while I was in Omaha, but the last night there, it was cool to get all the coaches and their families together. And we all kind of hung out and talked about the season. And of course it was kind of almost a morning type environment, uh, mourning the loss that is in the end of the season. Um, and I think that was kind of the bow we put on it. That was kind of the, the whole deal. And then you get on the flight the next morning and, it's great to get a police escort fans there. Everybody knows, you know, that group's not going to be together, uh, but for maybe another day or two. So everyone's smiling. And um, while no one was happy, it was kind of a quick transition. And then on that flight home, you know, you wake up from a nap and it's like, okay, transfer portal, what's going to happen in the draft. They moved the draft back this year and it was too late. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to predict that and wonder what the next steps are you got to do. And, you know, hey, is there a guy you got to meet with at the end of the season and say, hey, if you come back next year, you're probably going to get less innings or more innings. Or um, So it's a quick transition. We don't get to – we just had our banquet this past weekend to celebrate the start of the season. But because school ends and summer ball begins and the draft, it is a crazy quick transition for everyone. And, you know, Coach Elander's got it the worst as the recruiting coordinator. You basically have to go on the road the next day or the day following after the loss. Yeah, I can imagine that. That's probably not the most enjoyable thing to do. But you talked about it a little bit, I guess, before I started asking about the, the team and the players. You did talk about things being a little bit different on your staff this year. I mean, I know that it's not, you know, if, when, when people are looking from the outside in, you know, when they peer into the dugout, they're going to see some faces they know, maybe some faces in some in, in a couple different areas. But, you know, I know that, that y'all wanted to – you wanted to have that other full-time position – and for whatever reason, the NCAA just will not get to that yet. Um, so you kind of retool some things. And what can you tell us about some of the tweaks that you've made to your staff? Yeah, you know, Ross Kivett left. I actually just wrote him a note wishing him good luck this season. This will be his first season, not in orange. Uh, um, but you talk about a guy getting to go out and recruit and make a name for himself, um, doubling his salary, getting benefits. Um, he earned it and he got his just due. And so we're happy for him to be in that capacity. And of course, you know, a little sad to see a friend go, but also a tremendous competitor that was an asset to the program in many ways. And one way was he does did such a good job with our infielders, but one of those infielders he had was Ricky Martinez, arguably the best defensive player since we've been here. 
And uh, Ricky came back after ending his pro ball career, is finishing his degree, and has basically filled in for Ross at first base when we're on offense, coaching first base, and then working with our infielders. And then the one gap that or kind of spot that that leaves open on our staff role-wise is camp director. And Richard Jackson, who was already a part of the program and has done such a bang-up job with Coach Anderson, kind of tag-teaming those pitchers and being the bullpen coach, um, he essentially accepts more responsibility by running those camps, which are huge for our program and recruiting and also a lot of other ways. So, um, like you said, familiar faces um, re- replacing, um, you know, guys that have been a big part of this program. But I- I'm glad we kind of get to keep it in-house or keep it in the family and also just keep it consistent with the themes and messages we're sending out to guys. I mean, Lou Bonfield is another guy who became a full-time staff member even though he sat right next to me in the dugout every game last year, he was out of his own pocket to do that. And now he's on salary again, benefits is huge. And uh, he he's able to keep things consistent too, because coach Elander and I were with him at Arkansas. So I, I, I think that's a theme we want to keep as people are successful in this program, they're going to get other opportunities. That's not just for players getting drafted. Um, it can come in a lot of other ways. And we want to keep the theme of, um, um, our family, Vol Nation, and we want to keep things consistent. Yeah, and in terms of uh, of sort of this point, I guess just a couple weeks or less than a couple weeks but before the start of the season, I know if you could rewind to this time last year, everything was different, right? Because you, you're coming off of the, the COVID season uh, that had been cut short. And so, you know, y'all had done so well in the non-conference that season but had not been able to really prove yourself in SEC play. So you still probably got a million questions, I imagine, going into the start of last season, thinking, okay, these guys have been off for a while and they didn't get to play in the SEC for a full year. So now, you know, are they ready for that kind of jump when we get there? If you could sort of – I know it's probably really different, but compare your thoughts on this time last year to where you are now. I mean, with how many more things you've learned about the guys that you've got that came back, um, sort of different areas on the team – thinking about the depth and the quality at each place. Where would your feelings be approximately this year compared to this time last year? Yeah, the, the stress is directed in a different area. Last January and February, we call it spring training for <laughs> despite okay. the frigid temperatures. Last spring training, the stress was directed at uh, wrong or, or, or correct thought process. It was directed at trying to make up for that 2020 season kind of a pickup where we left off. Uh, you almost kind of had the pressure of wanting to have two great seasons wrapped into one because it was such a talented roster in 2020 and a good st- start we were off to, and we get cut short. We had a pretty good idea of who was going to play everywhere, <clears throat> but the stress was, you know, kind of we want to see guys be better. And Liam is a good example. He was healthier and more physical than he was his first year. So it was obvious he was going to be better at shortstop, but he almost, even if he kicked the ball in a scrimmage, you almost kind of stressed a little bit about, come on, this, this is, we, we got to step up from where we were. We didn't want to go backwards with, with how this program was progressing. And now the stress with this group is different. We have so many spots that are to this day right now, honestly, still up for grabs on the mound and out in the field and then I feel like because that's the case, uh, we had weapons last year, but this year we have weapons as well. A guy that's a good bunner or arguably one of the fastest kids in the SEC. Um, how are we going to use those guys? If there's roles open, do they deserve to be that guy to start the season? Or do we compliment and use them every now and then come off the bench? And these pitchers, you know, it was kind of, the three starters last year, we knew who they were. We knew, you know, you could sit up in the booth and predict who was coming out of the pen in certain situations. I think this year will be very different on the mound, especially with a couple early setbacks with some arms. Um, there's going to have to be some experimenting. And so that's where the stress lies right now. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that because you think about that as, as coaches and, and, and different coaches, you know, find find stress in different ways, right? I mean, everything about the job is stressful. That's uh, that's just sort of how it is. But in terms of knowing going into most, you know, and I, I don't want to say just weekends as if the midweek games don't matter because they absolutely matter. Uh, but a lot of times your you're, you know, coaches are trying to get things organized for the weekend. 
and thinking, okay, if you you sort of knew who your three guys were going to be for the most part on the weekend, you sort of knew at most positions who was going to be where, what the game plan was going to be. So like you said, there was a whole lot of, you know, even idiots like us from, from up in the booth could say, oh, I bet they do this here or that there. I'm wondering, is there – as a coach, when things are different and they're not quite like that and they are now, is there on some level more excitement for that or is it just kind of more stress? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's exciting to have the options, you know, and not feel like you're desperate. And I'm not saying we're world beaters by any imagination. We've got several guys that have not proven themselves either at this level or in the league or on a every day, day in and day out you know, sort of, uh, sort of schedule. So, um, it's great to have the options, but I think, um, and stress is a, a word that I use just, just to kind of get the point across. So mm-hmm. I don't know the exact way to phrase it, but you, you just kind of shoulder a little bit of responsibility. You really want to put the kids in a position to succeed. And then you don't want to look back and say, I didn't try this, or we should have done it this way, or this was the best combination. And there's really no way to, to know until you do it and you see the outcome. Um, but for now, you, you kind of want to just make sure you leave no stone unturned and you look at everything from every possible angle. And then ultimately, you just got to go with your gut and then also the information. I mean, right before we started chatting, I'm looking at the fall stats combined with our spring training stats. And now you got a pretty good sample size to at least try to accurately predict, you know, what maybe guys can and can't do. Yeah, and I guess on the mound, I mean, I know that you've still got sort of, what, a week and a half or so to – to start ironing these things out, but clearly, you know, no one, and I especially no one in the program wanted, wanted Blade Tidwell and, and wanted South Alverson to, to kind of get dinged up, nicked up, have to spend some time kind of getting back from that. How much did that change things for your pitching staff and how many, I mean, to the, to the extent that anyone considers anyone a starting pitcher now, because even in the big league level now, you're starting to see openers and different different things like that. But, but how many guys, arms in this team, do you feel like going into the season are good enough to be like, okay, I could start that guy even if it's just four or five innings or whatever it is? Yeah, I think we've got about five candidates. Um, now, the difference is a couple of those guys kind of profile as really good arms out of the bullpen too. So, um, now, the bad thing as my mind starts racing is we've got a couple weeks where we have five games, and it's early in the year where your starters – you know, we're always pretty conservative with those guys. We don't expect them to go more than six innings, maybe the first couple weeks. Um, so you're you're not getting a starter in the sense of a Chad Dallas or a Garrett Stalling. That even if they don't throw that well, they're still going to log you seven innings. Um, so not only are the things already open to all pitchers to be, be available till those pitch counts get built up, but now you remove probably what would have been about 60 to 65 uh, pre-conference innings those first four weeks of the year, probably 60 extra innings available, uh, maybe a little less to guys that maybe otherwise wouldn't have pitched or would have pitched less. So, and you've seen some guys kind of elevate their performance. Now, whether it's coincidence or not, I don't know, but if I'm a competitor, I'm seeing an opportunity and I want to take advantage of it. It'll be interesting how it works out for, for some of these new faces. That was the first part of our interview with Tennessee baseball coach Tony Vitello recorded on Monday morning, and we're going to get right back to that, uh, to the second half of that interview. Before we do that, though, going to take a quick break and pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, other fun things, and we'll be right back here on the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard from a moment ago during that commercial break. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here in old North Knoxville on a Monday. Oh, we'll call this Monday evening right now. Uh, talking primarily Tennessee baseball on this episode of the podcast, speaking one-on-one with Tennessee baseball coach Tony Vitello about sort of last season's run to uh, the College World Series, some changes in the offseason, what the new season's going to look like for the Vols, and it starts just in like a week and a half, so lots and lots and lots of stuff to discuss. So we're going to jump right back into it after I ask you to take about a minute out of your day right now, please. Just, guys, just take you a minute. Please go in there. Uh, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, whether you're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast a fine pod, you can find this very GoVoss 24-7 podcast. Please go in there, rate and review and subscribe. Uh, it just takes you a minute. It's not that not not that, not that that big of a pill to swallow. It, it's really a pretty simple thing to do. And we do this for free and we're happy to do it. But the one thing that we ask uh, is if you're just listening on the website, that's totally fine. We love you. No wrong way to consume this podcast. But what really helps us out is if you go in there and rate and review and subscribe. Uh, That helps us grow this thing. That helps us add more wolves to this wolf pack. That helps us grow it, as we've done since we started this thing years ago. So please do that. Please tell some friends. We would really appreciate that. If you're already doing that, thank you. If not, go yourself. That's that's the motto, and I know a lot of people don't like it. Uh, And by that, I mean Ryan Callahan doesn't like it. But that's okay. We don't care about his thoughts. We don't care. The, the important thing is this podcast and and just getting the word out and keeping it spreading and keeping it going, and that's what helps us do that. So please go do that. If you already do that, thank you. We really appreciate it. Uh, but for now, I've gotten that out of the way. Now we'll get back to the second part of my conversation from Monday morning with Tennessee baseball coach Tony Vitello. And when, I guess um, – do you need to have some of those things worked out? I mean, I know I'm sure you've got it worked out now or you're thinking about different scenarios, but I mean, are you talking like the day, the day before the season starts a few days before the season starts? I mean, cause I know you want arms to kind of get loosened up for what they might need to do, but how do you, even, even if you don't want to say who it's going to be, I guess if you could talk about the process of getting to that point between now as we're sitting here on February 7th and whenever the, you know, the season starts here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, it's coming up here this Friday where I don't know that the weather will let us. It, last year it definitely didn't. I remember we'd like to play a series Friday, Saturday, Sunday against each other mm-hmm. to kind of set it up close to what it's going to look like because um, those guys need to be in routines. But that definitively is not going to, you know, put us where we need to be. As a matter of fact, it was two years ago or two seasons ago where – all of a sudden Garrett Crochet is a little sore and kind of freaking out because he knows where he's going to go on the draft board or at least close to. So we brought the team up on a Wednesday and said, Chad Dallas is going to be the starter. And two days later, he was our opening day starter. And technically for two years did not leave that opening day or Friday spot. Um, It was was a moment that we talked about in a team meeting that I'll kind of remember forever because cheese or, or Chad Dallas is an epic teammate. And, uh, it was a it was a fateful day in ball history, I think. But I I don't want it to be that late in the game this year. But I think probably it'll come down to the the Tuesday before we play Georgia Southern. We'll dictate who we want to start on Friday and and kind of try and call guys in the office and give them at least a a little bit of a vision of what their role will be like that first weekend. And then to be honest, like we've done in the past, but even more so this year, it'll probably be back to the drawing board on Monday. And uh, we'll map out the next week, and then you know, same for the following week. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing that you're sitting there, and I'm, without question, you you know your own roster better than certainly I do, or better than than most people do. I mean, you're coaching those guys every day, but but when you look at it, it from the outside looking in, I'm wondering, and, and feel free to tell me if this is way off way off pace because it might be. But I'm wondering if you almost feel like you have more options out of the bullpen right now that you feel like. I might be able to rely on that guy because uh, it seems like there, there's times where as much as y'all knew exactly what you had 
at the back end of the bullpen last year and starting games. Sometimes there were sort of some questions of if we have to bridge that gap, how are we going to do it? Uh, I wonder if now you look at some of those arms in the bullpen, you think, well, at least there's more stuff back there. Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly more velocity um, and, and more stuff. And instead of um, kind of being in a situation where, like, if this guy doesn't get it done, we've got – we don't have anything else to go to. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it, it felt that way at times last year. Now I think it's, okay, we don't need as much out of this guy, but he can give us something, and then we can move on to the next guy who also can give us something. So, you know, maybe you're spreading the butter a little more evenly on the toast, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's more options in that manner. Uh, but last year's group, kudos to those guys. They were able to cover a lot of innings um, when, it, when it really was about four of them at times out of the bullpen. I think there'll be more bodies, but we'll have the equal amount of innings to cover. So, again, maybe it's spread out a little bit more evenly, and, and there is a, a bigger number of guys that we could quote-unquote, trust. Is it sort of the uh, the same thing when you look at the position players just sort of overall? Because I'm wondering, you know, last year, at least by the midway point of the season, it seemed like most roles were more or less defined. I mean, you had maybe riding the hot hand at a couple different positions, but it seemed like, you know, things just sort of fell into place in terms of where they needed to be with that. And this year – I mean, other than I'm looking at maybe two or three spots, other than those spots, it looks like there's still just a lot of bodies and a lot of potential there. And sometimes as a player, as a guy who played the game, I'm thinking, man, that's that must be maybe kind of nerve-wracking for players, but also probably pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, last year um, our transfer portal guy, I think he was the only one, was Jackson Greer. Mm-hmm. Um and Pav happens to be the guy that gets a, a, a broken bone during the season. And, um, you know, Greer really kind of saved the day in those games and conference in particular, he was back there on top of, you know, kind of helping Pav stay fresh, just like Landon Gray would be, who was a great defender for us. And then Logan Steenstra was a guy who we thought we'd maybe lose to the draft, but he gets injured and the draft is shortened and he makes it to campus. And Liam Spence is a guy that gets a hamstring. Um, so I don't know that we were prepped at any of the other spots, uh, you know, quite as well as we were at those two spots. So we were very fortunate how it worked out, but you know, Nixon and Max and injuries are going to come about when you're playing hard or you're playing fierce competition, like we do over the course of 56 games. And, um, so that's one way you feel good about being covered. And then another way, as you mentioned is, you, you know, you get to try different guys out and that competition should, should bring out the best in our guys. They should consistently be on their toes and, um, you know, have a, a healthy sense of paranoia when it comes to their preparation. They don't want to regret anything because they could either lose their job or miss the opportunity of jumping up and grabbing a job that's available. Um, so there's so much that goes into that. But, yeah, I, I think there's just a lot of questions unanswered on both sides of the ball. And yet there, there's a lot of potential options for us. I hope we're still saying that in May. Yeah, knock on wood. Um, so we can use and involve a bunch of guys. Yeah. So, but when you look at some of the guys that were able to come back, you know, you're the the no one wanted to go through what things were like in in the 2019 season, right? Especially, uh, or I guess I should say 2020 season, where where y'all are, you've got just so much more talent than I think a lot of people maybe out maybe maybe people outside the program didn't really know exactly how much talent y'all had in certain areas going into that season. And then the thing gets cut short right before you go to play South Carolina to start SEC play. So I think if you could go back in time, everyone would say we'd like to play that season, thank, please and thank you. Uh, but now that because that did happen, some of the guys that were able to come back for an extra season, you know, especially when you've got maybe just a couple tweaks on your coaching staff, uh, it, it must – almost feel at this point like some of those guys are like staff members who get to play at this point that maybe that's something that you wouldn't take that trade a couple years ago but now you're like nah they're here and that's good no it's true um we don't get to have a minor league system and uh you know it was difficult on the phone not knowing the rules kids are at home and and pandemic shut down or lockdown and you're trying to be fair with everyone and say, here's what may or may not happen to you. And one kind of conundrum there was, 
you don't want to see guys leave the program because they're potentially the future of the program. But at the same time, with the roster being backed up, it may be a year or two before their time comes. And I think it's only fair to just kind of be black and white honest with, with those guys and, and paint that picture to them. And um, the guys that remained in this program and kind of stuck through those difficult times of knowing, man, I should be out there or I could have a bigger role somewhere else. They're now here and very well versed at what works, what doesn't in this league, what our program is all about. And so they're much more equipped, maybe even than guys like Max Ferguson to lead this program. I mean, um, you know, Fergie's just one example, but in his career, we had to fight to the death just to win some games. And he was only a freshman. And then 2020, he only plays in 17, 18 games or whatever it was in that shortened season. And then last year we pick it up and certainly he was a leader, but it, it wasn't kind of that same. Uh, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is the best example because he had to sit behind Brett Favre and, and learn from him, but not quite a quite that same classroom atmosphere that you're alluding to. Yeah, and I guess one of those guys that I guess the the position tweak has sort of mandated that we end up talking about him was moving Evan Russell back to a guy who can catch some because I know even toward the end of last year. Uh, I think it was during an NCAA tournament weekend because all y'all were on the, the stage together and kind of laughing about thinking about Evan as a catcher back in the day. And I guess in your mind at that point, uh, you're probably not thinking, well, we're going to have to try it again next year. But uh, things worked out the way that they did, and he's been going back there. What's that process been like, and, and who? what was sort of the genesis of that conversation with y'all, you and Evan talking and kind of moving him back to a guy who can catch some? Well, he, he came in very emotional when the draft came to a conclusion. And I think um, in a normal year, I think he gets an opportunity in a shortened COVID setup. And, and then now these minor league teams have evaporated. Literally, mm -hmm. um, it didn't work out in his favor. And I, I could have predicted that based off the circumstances. But I think other people had gotten in his ear and he was shocked. And he came in emotional and, and was saying, you know, between the two of us was a private conversation, but there was a lot sure. of thoughts and, and things being spoken there. And I, I just tried to listen, but also calm him down a little bit and, and, you know, just reiterate to him. He's been such a huge part of the program's process um, or progress, I should say. And, and also um, is a guy that's beloved by Vol nation and vice versa. I mean, he grew up being a ball fan. So this is the place for him. He should embrace being here for another year. And if he's really excited about pro ball and he sees next year's team as having more depth in the outfield, which we do, um, then catching, you know, at least the experiment makes perfect sense. And I didn't know it would go as well as it did, or he'd embrace it quite as much as he did. But, you know, we got a summer league that's played on our field just, you know, like every Tuesdays, I think, or a mm -hmm. couple days a week. Next thing you know, he put himself on one of those teams and he's on our field catching and, uh, you know, that was kind of day one, and then he hasn't looked back since. So it's, it's been fun to watch how aggressive he's been at trying to learn the position. And um, by no means has he got it mastered, um, but he's certainly put himself in a position where he'll catch a lot of innings for us this year. Yeah, I got to wonder, too, you're probably having conversations with your pitchers being like, hey, Evan's going to be a catcher now, and they're thinking – Okay, that sounds fun. We love Evan, but is he ready for this? <laughs> I got you know maybe. I mean, because you know, as a guy, who, you know, I was more of a corner infielder than a, than than a catcher, but I caught enough to know that you know, if you're back there not knowing what you're supposed to be doing, pitchers aren't very happy with that. So, uh, how, how quickly were they able to get on the same page? Exactly. I, I think if I could speak for them, I think a big part of it was like, you know, let's see how this goes. You know, probably like you're like a little bit of question mark. Like, is he going to catch the dang thing? And then also, like, let's see how this goes. Like, I'm excited. It's something new. And we've tried it with other players, too. And there's always a sense of excitement to it when we do it or curiosity. But then you also look at that position and realize so much of it is based off character and leadership and rapport with pitchers. And that's a, a box, you know, or three boxes that Pav checks so well. So even at times where Pav had a fractured hand, or he wasn't hitting as well as he could have last year at the start. Um, or if it was just a game, he didn't catch that well. I mean, that's going to happen over the course of time. The thing that was the core or the rock of what he was doing for our pitchers was they had great rapport. They trusted him. They liked him. He was a great teammate. Um, they knew he was well-prepared because of how hard of a worker he is. 
And Pav and Russell are comically different people, but yet share those same values that are key to that position. Now, I know I don't want to take too much time, Tony. I know you got a bunch of stuff you, that you've got to do, but I'm wondering for – I know that it's always tough as a coach to talk about any freshman, right? Maybe unless you're like uh, you know, a college football coach or a college basketball coach and you got some sort of five-star freshman point guard or – or quarterback who's going to be a starter, and, and so everyone has to talk about him a lot. A lot of times coaches don't love talking about newcomers until they go out there and show what they can do in a game. But I'm wondering if a couple of these newcomers that you've gotten this year are already to a point where you at least feel comfortable saying, yeah, they're going to be in the mix. You're going to need to know these names. Are there any of those guys that you that you could discuss right now? Sure, yeah. I don't know that we've got a Chris Weber or a Jalen Rose um, but it has been a fun group. And the key to being, I, I guess, talked about or or involved in the answer to your question as a freshman is don't act like one. <laughs> and that sounds very simple. Um, but if you're a, a good student and you kind of got your business in line and you you approach your preparation like a professional, like Blade Tidwell did last year, then you're, you're probably not discussed as a freshman. Um, I'd set it the flip-flop way, too, for some of our guys like Evan Russell – is a, a senior as it relates to experience and physicality and all those things. But for the position, he's a freshman. We have other guys who are similar that physicality and ability, they're not freshmen. They just happen to be that based off year. And they're going to need some ex- experience and some trials and tribulations to grow. Um, but a, a guy like Blake Burke isn't built like a freshman. and doesn't hit like one. Uh, at the same time, he does some freshman things. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how quickly he matures as a player to utilize that skill set that's advanced. Um, and, of course, he's he's dealing with Luke Lipsius still being here from a shortened draft or COVID roster stuff. Uh, but Blake Burke is a guy who stands out at the plate and kind of reminds us all of Will Clark, if you remember him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Will wore number 22 as well. Uh, played for the Cardinals for a little bit, but mainly was a giant and Blake's from NorCal. Um, so he's been a fun one. And, and then Chris Moore is a guy who can kind of play all over the place, but you can tell he wants to take ownership of that second base position where Fergie vacated. And um, there's other guys that'll have some things to say about that too. But physically, when you come to the park, he looks like a guy that plays for coach Heupel, not a guy that plays for us. So again, can he mature so that he's not talked about as a freshman because he doesn't act like one. And then Chase Burns to me is this year's um, kind of version of Blade Tidwell because his stuff is very advanced. Um, it's not freshman year stuff. And then he wants to be great. And and that is a big ingredient to Blade uh, being good as well. So when he's preparing or going through his routines, it's not kind of that freshman thing where you got to rear the kid and you know, almost kind of babysit him to where he picks up good habits. He's already kind of got that innate deal in him and it's been fun to be around. So just three that stick out. There's, there's several others, but again, I think that topic is a fun one to talk about because by now they've been on, on campus for quite some time. And you'd like to think they've kind of learned some things and have have matured already. Well, plus none of them have ever uh, struck out uh, as Tennessee volunteers or had an error or, you know, had a wild pitch that brought in a run home. None of them have done that yet. So, you know, they, so they're, they're spotless in that way, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, they are. (laughs) It's, it's a clean slate, but you bring up uh, another good topic because Andrew Benintendi, who I'm close with and is a great dude, he, he didn't go through SEC play, obviously, although he had had all these accolades and he'd be talked about in this same conversation. But when he got punched in the mouth for the first time in the SEC, it didn't go well right away. It was almost like he didn't know how to respond. And then once he kind of got his bearings, I mean, he took off and, you know, the following year was Golden Spikes award winner. But even at the end of that year, it was almost a different player than he was at the start of the season. And I, I kind of expect that with guys like Ben Joyce on the mound or Evan Russell behind the plate. And then, of course, all the freshmen you coach, you kind of expect that. You, you want to see a different guy in May than you did in February. And I think that'll happen. Well, Tony, I just got two things left. The, the first thing quickly is, I guess, you, you talk about sort of where the program wants to be, right, and, and where it was when, when you got here and you look around and you're thinking, okay, how are we going to get this thing back? And, 
now, now that you've been able to sort of rise through it and you've gotten back to, you know, the tournament or first back to the SEC tournament, then back to the NCAA tournament, then back to Omaha, you know, and, and wanted to play better when you got there, but still did 50 plus games with winning to get there. You know, do you get that sense from the players in your program now that it, 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 even if it's not quote arrived, cause you never want to feel that way. Do you feel like the guys that are still around this program that have been part of this, are sort of setting the tone now in terms of what needs to be done on a daily basis to get there consistently or to be in the mix consistently? Yeah, I, I think the expectations are different in our locker room and being different among the fan base or media or other things can be kind of dangerous uh, because perspective is it has a, a great deal to do, do with all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think we're, the, the key is for a team or program is to have the expectations be different in the offices and the stadium and the dugout, all that good stuff. And, and I think that's the case in a healthy way. The standards are a little bit higher. And, and now the guys who have been here, you, you kind of hit on this earlier, they can educate the, the younger guys on this is how it goes, or this is why we have to do it this way because in the future, you know, such and such is going to happen. So it's a it's a improved environment up here in the stadium and i think the thing that's probably at the number one or the top of the list of of benefits to us is the mindset is affected okay if the expectations are different the standards are different that means this is a a, a place that's in a better place or we should have self-belief we can get to this or host a regional or do this or that um and that was a challenge that we fought, I think Coach Heupel's fighting, is getting guys to flip their mindset to knowing how to win and believing that they can win is a great, great challenge. And, you know, it's a day-in and day-out deal or, or, or thing you're combating, but we're, we're in a much better spot now. And last thing I had, Tony, I know that, that you know, the talk of facilities has always been a, a big one, right? It's been there since you got there because – you know, where you came from, the, the couple places, you know, that you'd been recently, you know, the, the facilities were, were, were nice. I mean, you go around the SEC and you see some palaces, basically. Uh, that's just sort of the way it's gone. I guess SEC Network money's helped a lot, too. And some of those SEC West, SEC West programs for years have, have been on the up and up with facilities and things. And I know that that's been a work in progress for, for y'all since you got to Tennessee. Um, but the way things went last year, some of the m momentum going forward – you know, what, what are some differences that people will notice when they come to Lindsey Nelson this season? And still, what is your long-term vision for what you want to look like? Because not everybody can have like a duty noble, but in terms of, of what you want to have there and what you think is possible, because you think about the size of the city in Knoxville, you know, y'all getting people to games really, you know, shouldn't be an issue in, in a city right. like this size. So, I mean, and if y'all keep winning, what's your sort of vision for what you want to look like and how much different might it look this season for people coming back to the yard? Yeah, the latter is a question that I literally answered one this morning about, hey, what do you want this, uh, you know, to look like on our next set of drawings we get? So we're kind of in that rough draft mode still because of a change in administration which has been healthy as far as the stadium expansion um it's kind of let's take a look at it this way and then try it that way so unfortunately there's no direct answer when all these facility questions come up but there is a very direct answer for this current year um literally right now i'm looking out the window watching guys put chair backs on the bleacher seats that'll be down the left field line so if you attended your first game ever and it was against LSU in the Super Regional, it may look similar to you down the left field line, but it's better. They remove the picnic areas. The bleachers are right up on the field, right next to the action, and certainly very close to the opponent. And there's chair backs to those bleachers as well, which, you know, to me, classes things up a little bit. And then in left field, if you've ever sat in the porch, it's a fun area to watch the mm -hmm. game, oh, yeah. but there's only been one row. Now there's a double deck. And uh, aesthetically, it changes the look out there. It makes it a more fun setting for the players, especially during BP. But you're, you're doubling the amount of people that are kind of your bleacher bum crowd. And then in right field, the student section became a very popular area last year, but was kind of, um, you know, restricted. It was almost a, a weird setup up there where the playground was. And then you got college students. So the playground's yeah. been removed to open that up. So the college students can literally have their own party up there. And uh, I, I think it's going to help 
also alleviate some construction or uh, um, concession issues where everything's not so crowded because they'll be able to put some things up there and it'll open up things on the concourse a little bit. And then the fourth and last thing would be the MVP room, which not every fan gets to see, but those that have MVP season tickets uh, will go back and be able to get food and drink or, you know, maybe get out of bad weather for a minute in a total different area. I mean, that thing, I didn't ever want to say it out loud when we had it, but it was basically a bad high school cafeteria look that was back there. And now it looks like a brand new, nice sports bar. Um, so that's a space we use in a lot of different ways, but not every fan gets to see it. But around the park, you'll notice those three things for certain the first time you're back. Yeah, and, there won't, and I guess there won't be a, a playground in between the college student section and frat row anymore. So that's probably <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably we'd, we'd a good like thing. A seamless, yeah, might as well build a bridge there and, and just let them walk across and come come and go as they please. And it, they were great for us last year, the students. So we've kind of done a couple small things like how can we really, you know, kind of take care of these folks and, you know. Hopefully the one last thing too will be those bleacher seats down the right field line will become chairback seats. We've kind of run into another hiccup on campus. We're just waiting for paperwork to go through, but um, I think it's a much cleaner look when you have chairbacks throughout the stadium. And that's something that we're, we're pushing for to get done hopefully by mid-year, but we'll, we'll see if that comes. Well, we're excited to see it, Tony. Thank you so much for your time this morning and good luck with everything. And I suppose that uh, we'll, we'll be seeing you next week for, for games that count. So looking forward to that. Yes, indeed. We'll, we'll savor the days we have to prepare before that comes, but also looking <laughs> forward to it when it does. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Have a good one, man. Yeah, you bet. Appreciate you. That was Tennessee baseball coach Tony Vitello speaking about a lot of things, spending a lot of time with us today, and we certainly appreciate that. And if I can find that button, there it is. That should wrap us up for this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Thanks again to Tony Vitello for joining us, Tennessee baseball. Starting up next week, the Vols ranked again. Lots and lots of stuff, lots of exciting things, and a new look, Lindsey Nelson. It's, it's going to be another another fun ride. We are looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to adding that to uh, – a schedule that already has basketball going, spring football about to start, and a two-month-old at the house. It's really, it's really an exciting group of things when you think about it. So yes, yes, lot. Let's just add it to the plate. Bring it. Why not, guys? You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker, 24/7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P Brown, 24/7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter, and Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24/7 on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news, nothing else, you can get that at Twitter.com/slash/GoVols247. You can also go to Facebook. Dot com slash go 24 7 but if you want that best most delicious east tennessee smoky mountain spring water directly from the tap go get that at govols247.com the best site on all of al gore's internets for coverage of tennessee football football recruiting basketball basketball recruiting tennessee baseball obviously lady vols coverage all things lady vols uh, with award-winning maria cornelius all year long all of that all the lady vols sports administrative news everything we have got you covered we have got you covered at GoVols247.com. You get a couple, co- you know, what, a couple dozen fresh content items every day between us and the national network. Uh, you get access to two forms that run around the clock, the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, pretty much every time zone. We've got it covered. All five of us on staff are there all the time on the board. You can discuss whatever you want with us. You also get access to the best database uh, that you'll see in college sports. You get access to the national network uh, with everything everybody else is covering all around the country. And we got people everywhere. You get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month after a seven-day free trial. And if you pay us that rate, which again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, we will give you access for free in perpetuity to Paramount Plus. Used to be CBS All Access, now it's Paramount Plus, and that's a hundred plus dollars annual value that we will give you for free. That's all kinds of exclusive shows: uh, Evil, Picard. Uh, you get uh, Mayor Kingstown. You get you know 1883. You get the other Yellowstone spinoffs that are coming. You get you get local uh, news. You get you get everything CBS has ever done, commercial free. Every show, new movies, old movies, uh, classics, lots and lots of good stuff. Stuff from the content items. Uh, from, for, from the galleries of, well, galleries, that's the wrong word, from the, uh, let's see, from the vault, there you go, from the archives of CBS and MTV, BET, Smithsonian, 
Nickelodeon, Comedy Central. Something for the entire family. So that's a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff. Actually, a few hundred dollars worth of stuff. We're going to give you for about a hundred bucks a year. You can't beat that deal. Go do it. Go to GoVoss247.com right now. Right now. If nothing else, guys, you should hear from us uh, on Thursday if there's no big breaking news before then. So until then, be good to each other. Stay safe. Stay warm. Be nice to each other. Have basic human empathy, which this world lacks now and it needs badly. End of speech. Guys, be good. See you in a few days. Peace. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. That was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control-Alt-Desire, now streaming on Paramount+.